Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, and joining me via phone is Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing fine, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And of course, as always, we're sponsored by Sibling Revelry Brewing. Head over to siblingrevelrybrewing.com and check out uh, all of the beers they have available. Go to Giant Eagle, Acme, Heinen's. Uh, you'll be able to find them at all sorts of different places and, and check out their event schedule as well. And of course, we're going to have an event there. Uh, coming up during the bye week. And Mary Kay, our bye week, we weren't sure uh, quite how busy that was going to be. It turns out it's not going to be as busy as it potentially could have been because the Browns made uh, their coaching decision, at least the first part of it today, uh, firing Hugh Jackson and firing Todd Haley. Of course, we're recording this on Monday. Um, and, and I guess let's let's just go back uh, and kind of get your reaction when the news first kind of happened. Well, I was actually quite surprised. I thought that maybe one of them would go, that you know, there, it might be an either-or type of thing. I thought that Hugh Jackson would go in and have a conversation with Jimmy Haslam today and that something was going to happen. Uh, I know that the, the goal for him would have been to take back the offense and call the plays himself and kind of dig this offense back out of the doldrums. Uh, and I thought when that conversation happened that perhaps – it wouldn't go as well as maybe he hoped it would and, um, you know, and that maybe he wouldn't end up uh, coming out of that okay and that Todd Haley perhaps would survive it. So I, I didn't know how it was going to go. I thought one of them would be gone. I didn't think both of them would be gone. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I mean, that's the way it turned out. I think that this rift between the two of them uh, really was the undoing and the demise of both of them. Yeah, it was um, it was a little surprising to see that both um, were, were sent packing, and um, you know this this rift was very public. Of course, it goes back all the way to Hard Knocks, and then there was the Josh Gordon situation, which which by the way we talked we've talked about this on other podcasts. Um, I, I know people were critical of of some of us for blowing that out of proportion, but I think we've seen over time that's kind of why we try and note these things and talk about these things. Um, so Josh Gordon starting that first game maybe was a little more significant than some people thought. Um, it, it just really did seem, though, over the last couple of weeks that this had become untenable. Yeah, it did. And I think the thing, um, I think the thing to remember here is, or at least in my view of it, uh, I think you could see from early on that, Todd Haley just wasn't going to do things 
Hugh Jackson's way. And I think that's where Hugh felt he had to keep standing his ground and saying, I'm the head coach. Well, why would he have to do that? Because when he tried to get Todd Haley to do something, you know, install something, play someone, not play someone, uh, he really wasn't taking into account what he wanted them to do at all. So I think more so than internal discord that we're hearing about, I think there was some insubordination going on on the part of Todd Haley. And I think Hugh got tired of it and tried to do something about it. And in the end, it, it kind of blew up in his face. I mean, he told Todd Haley and everyone in the world that, that Josh Gordon was not to start the Pittsburgh game. And that was just a supreme act of defiance, in my opinion, for him to go out and do that, Todd Haley, when, when he was told point blank by Hugh Jackson that he would not do that. And I remember I asked Todd Haley in the press conference why he did it, and he kind of, you know, rolled his eyes and said that was a silly question. Well, it wasn't a silly question. Uh, it was a sign that there was something very wrong between these guys. And, you know, we first, like you said, we first saw it on hard knocks. Then it carried through to him not starting, not playing Duke Johnson more, not, um, not playing Nick Chubb more, which ultimately led to the trade of Carlos Hyde. I mean, it was just, it, it was basically a mess. And, you know, when I look at this, and, you know, hopefully I'll have a chance to write some columns about this over the next couple of days. You know, if I had been Hugh Jackson, I, I would have gone out on my own terms. I would not have turned the offense over to Todd Haley, but I think he felt he had to do that to keep his job. Now, he has said he wasn't mandated to do that, but I don't know that it was a mandate as much as it was a vibe, a general feeling of you need to get somebody to call the plays, you be the CEO coach, um, and we really think that'd be a good idea. It wasn't you have to do this, but I think it was sort of the, uh, the suggestion or the feeling that that's what was necessary for him to keep his job. But, you know, it wasn't worth it in the end. It, it wasn't worth it. I think he should have either said, no, this is my offense. I'm going to call the plays when I finally have the quarterback that I want, uh, or I'm out of here. So, um, yeah, I think that's some of the ways this all has gone down. And, and of course, for, for Hugh, uh, all of this came on the heels of 1-15 uh, and 0-16. And um, so then he, he makes coaching changes to the offensive side of the ball. He made a bunch of defensive coaching changes the year before. Um, you know, and, and look, the, the team was better this season. Uh, you know, it showed in the win column. They won a couple games. They were close in other games. They, they were better than they've been in years past. Um, but they, they just haven't been winning this year. So along with everything else, you know, they're sitting here at 2-5-1, and one, and, and it really sounded today, listening to that press conference, like Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey both had higher expectations. Well, they did. They absolutely did. There's no question about it. There are other issues on this football team right now that are very evident. Uh, first of all, you've got, you know, you, once again, you've got a rookie quarterback who wasn't supposed to be starting, uh, but lo and behold, he's starting. Uh, you've got a rookie left tackle who is struggling right now, but is he struggling because, uh, you know, because of what else is going on around him or in part because of the scheme, uh, that, that's difficult to say. And I don't know if we're going to really know the answer this year because now you've got 
Freddie Kitchens, who's, who's not really used to running an offense. He's never called plays in a real NFL game before. Uh, you know, he's going to be going out there, and that, that's going to be a tall order for him. He'll have help. He'll have help from guys uh, that have actually done it before. He'll have help from the quarterback's coach and from Al Saunders. But, you know, this is going to be really, really tough. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but it's it's just a very difficult situation for, for everyone involved. Yeah, so, uh, you know, let, let, let's kind of just start the process of spinning this forward. Uh, right now, what the situation is, is the Browns are going to have Greg Williams as their interim head coach. As you mentioned, Freddie Kitchens uh, as, as their offensive coordinator. Um, wh- why Greg Williams? I, I think that that took some people by surprise because obviously Greg Williams comes with some baggage. Uh, there was Bounty Gate in New Orleans. Um, you, you know, he has been a head coach before uh, in Buffalo. He, he likes to remind us of that on, during his weekly press conferences. Um, so, I mean, is that the reason they went with Greg? Because I'm kind of, I'm racking my brain a little bit, and maybe I'm forgetting someone, um, you know, with significant head coaching experience besides uh, a guy like Al Saunders. It doesn't seem like there's anybody else on this staff that really has that sort of cachet. So maybe, maybe that's why they decided Greg was the guy. Well, yeah, I think that they they felt like at this point in time when they're in almost like a crisis situation that they would go with someone who has had head coaching experience, who has done it for three solid years. To take over as the head coach of a football team in the middle of a season, never having done that before, that would be way too much to put on someone. You, You just really can't do that. And Al Saunders, if he could do it, He's been a head coach before, but, um, but you know, he's, he's 71 years old. He might not want that kind of responsibility right now for the, for the rest of the season. Now they, they said they only talked to Greg about the job. So, you know, I, I don't know how that all went down, but, um, you know, it sounds like that's, that's what they did. And I think it is the right decision because you have to have somebody who has had coaching experience right now? Yeah, I mean, to me, the goal, I think, is get, honestly get through these eight games. You know, however that looks. If, if they win some of them, great. If they, they rally a little bit and, and make a run towards the end of the season, great. But I, I feel like the goal of all of this was to try the best they could to just get through this second half of the season in one piece and, and then move on to whatever's next. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what they have to do. And, um, you know, when I look at why they did what they did right now, uh, there's no way that, that Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley were going to be able to coexist and get through the rest of the season together. It's what, it was a distraction. It was what people were talking about. So there was no way that they could coexist. And I think that they had gotten to the point. I mean, let's, let's be really bluntly honest about this. When George, John Dorsey walked through the door last December, Every single person in the whole world thought at that moment that that was going to be the end of Hugh Jackson, right? Right. <laughs> I think that's, I think we all thought that. I mean, you can't, you just don't bring in a, a football family as strong and as tight as John Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith, and you're basically turning over the building to this group of very strong, strong talent evaluators that all come from, you know, the, the Ron Wolf bloodlines and, and things like that. 
when you when you open up your building and fill it up with those people, you just had to know that Hugh Jackson was going to be on his way out. And anybody that looked at it would have to think that, especially because of the record that he had, which I attribute a lot of that record, a lot of that record to the absolute failed re- regime of Sashi Brown. And we can just do a whole podcast on that someday. <laughs> but I mean, there, there was just, there were just so many things wrong with that whole approach. Um, but you just kind of knew that that was going to happen at some point. So I think they felt right now, why not just rip the bandaid off and get it all done at once and start to move on because the truth of the matter is, I mean, they were going to have to win a whole, whole, whole bunch of games this year for anything else to happen other than for, for Hugh Jackson to be gone. I mean, that's just, that's just the, the way of the world. You bring in new people, you know, you bring in Mike Holmgren, Eric Mangini is going to be gone. It didn't matter what Eric Mangini was going to do. At some point, those guys were going to have a parting of the ways. You don't mix these football families. You don't mix streams, which the Haslam's have done way, way, way too much of that in their, you know, in their six years of owning the Cleveland Browns. There's just way too much of, uh, you know, trying to put factions together and different things together. I mean, you've got to have everybody on the same page, going in the same direction. And there are still issues in that regard, in that building. Um, but there was no way. I mean, why why fire, you know, Todd Haley right now and then get to the bye week in two, two weeks and decide you're going to f- fire here? I mean, that would just prolong the agony for everybody. So I, I think they were just like, let's get it over with all at once. Yeah, I- I mean, this part of it, they've gotten right. And and you kind of got to the root of the issue there in, in that answer. I mean, it's about what the Haslam's do now. I mean, how they move forward, because they decided when they brought in John Dorsey that they were going to keep Hugh Jackson. You know, that was right there in that press release when they announced the, the hiring of John Dorsey the day after they fired Sashi Brown. Um, Hugh Jackson was going to come back for 2018. So now, okay, Jackson's gone. You know, you brought in Dorsey, who, who you know we've never gotten to see hire a head coach, but you brought him in as a very powerful, powerful figure in the organization. This is going to be an interesting test for this ownership group. Are they going to let John Dorsey kind of steer the ship on this hiring, or is it going to be Jimmy Haslam making the decision and, and continuing in this structure of uh, you know almost having two people pulling in separate directions who both report to him? Well, you know, the blueprint, here's what they here's what they need to do right now. When you bring like like I talked about before, when you bring a strong football group into the building, like John Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, and Alonzo Highsmith, you need to let them run the show. And you need I, I really kinda think that Jimmy kinda needs to get out of the way a little bit. It's enough of the head coach reporting to Jimmy Haslam. I mean that that has just created so many problems. Even when Sashi Brown and Hugh were together and you had Sashi Brown on one side of Jimmy's ear and you had you had Hugh on the other side. It just doesn't work like that. I suppose in some places it could work like that, but it hasn't worked like that here. So what they need to do is this. They need to give John Dorsey maybe they can keep he can keep keep the same title as GM, but they need to give him the authority to hire the head coach and let the head coach report to him. Right now, somebody has to be in charge that knows what they're doing. It cannot be Jimmy Haslam 
running the show. It just, it's not going to work. It hasn't worked and it's not going to work. Uh, he can oversee the whole thing, but the football side needs to run through John Dorsey. So he needs to hire the coach. I don't think they should look outside of, you know, to have Corn Ferry or whoever do it again. I think that, that John Dorsey, Elliot and Alonzo and all the people that they know and other Ron Wolf and other good consultant type people, uh, they can put their heads together and come up with a really good coaching list and, and hire their own coach. And that coach needs, like I said, to report to John Dorsey and the football side needs to flow through him. One head person. So they need to change their organizational flow chart. It's never been right. Um, they've never been able to get it right. And, and it's, it's just not fair to the fans to keep getting it wrong. It's just not. They've, they've, got, they've got to stop mixing streams and putting people together that don't belong together. I mean, sure, John Dorsey and Hugh Jackson, you know, maybe they could have tried to make it work. But I don't think anybody ever really believed it was going to. I don't think anybody ever thought that John Dorsey was going to walk in that door and keep Hugh Jackson around for any length of time. So, you know, in some respects, if you, if, if anybody had been really thinking clearly back then, you know, maybe you just go ahead and do it then. Now, Jimmy said he had no regrets about that, but it, it put everybody through hell, including Hugh Jackson. I mean, and, and that's not fair to him. It's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to the players. It, it, you know, it's just been basically an, another Browns disaster. Yeah. And so, uh, go right, ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, uh, you know, how John Dorsey kind of views it all too, because he, you know, he came from Kansas city, obviously where the, the structure there was a little different. Um, you know, Andy Reed was very powerful on the personnel side of things there as well. And, you know, it worked for a while and it worked because they won a lot, honestly. And, and Dorsey and Reed both got along and then it kind of just ended, <laughs> you know, John Dorsey was out. There's a reason that he was available to the Browns. It, it ended for him in Kansas city. So I'm sure that's, that's in the back of his mind a little bit too, that, you know, he, he'd probably like to have a little more control over his situation than, uh, than maybe he did in Kansas city. Well, there's different organizational structures and they are based upon who the, the strongest, uh, person, talent evaluator, biggest voice is in the organization. In Kansas City, that was going to be Andy Reid. It was always going to be Andy Reid, and that was just never going to happen for John Dorsey there. And essentially, he lost that power struggle. And it, so it happens. He, you know, he knows what it feels like to have something like this happen. It basically happened to him when, um, when Andy Reid came to rely more on uh, I can't remember his exact, is it Brett Veach? What is, is the Kansas City GM's name again? Is that, do I have the right name there, Dan? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, um, but anyways, so, you know, John Dorsey's been through this before. You can, you can set your organization up in different ways. I mean, if, but it looks to me like they might end up with a, a young head coach. Like they might end up going down the, you know, sort of the Sean McVay road where, you know, you try to go after a Lincoln Riley or someone like that, an up and coming offensive mind, somebody who's really going to get the most out of Baker Mayfield. In that scenario, if you go with a younger coach like that, you know, then it makes perfect sense to have John Dorsey be the authority and the voice and the person 
that he would report to. And and I I think it is time for for Jimmy to uh you know, just to step back a little bit and let the football people do their job. Yeah. Now okay, so so now let's let's go down this road um with with the coaching possible coaching candidates. Um that Sean McVay name is always going to come up, right? Because that was, you know, that's actually kind of a similar situation in some ways. The the Rams had Jeff Fisher. They had just drafted a quarterback number one overall. Um, Jeff Fisher was clearly not the guy to move forward with, with, with that quarterback. They didn't want to move on with him. They fired him. I believe it was in December that year. Um, and then they found Sean McVay, you know, now whether Sean McVay is a lightning in a bottle situation, if, if that can be duplicated, I don't know, but, but that seems like what the Browns should try to do, find a young up and coming offensive mind. Uh, you and I put our heads together and, and put together a real quick list earlier and it's posted at cleveland.com slash Browns. And, you know, right at the top of that list, and granted it was in no particular order, but, you know, the biggest name on that list is Lincoln Riley, who of course coached Baker Mayfield. Um, NFL coaches have been going to Oklahoma to, uh, to pick his brain uh, offensively. He, he coached Baker Mayfield, obviously. Uh, it, it seems like if he were to make the leap and he commented on it earlier today and said it wasn't something he's thinking about right now, um, I believe he said he doesn't have the itch yet. Uh, but if he were to make that leap, this might be a situation that he would have to consider. Yeah, I think you, oh, he loves Baker Mayfield. I talked to him uh, just recently, at, right after Baker was named the, the starting quarterback. I had a conversation with, with Lincoln Riley, and boy, he loves him some Baker Mayfield. So, you know, I think if he, you know, if he were going to, to make the decision to make that leap and come over to the NFL, this would be the perfect time for him to do it. Now, does he want to do it? Who knows? You know, there have not been a ton of college coaches that have jumped over to the NFL right away and have been wildly successful. There's a lot of reasons to love, you know, the college game. I mean, if there wasn't, you know, Nick Saban would have come back over here a long time ago. There, there are a lot of great things about being a college football coach. So, you know, he's loving what he's doing. But still, I do think that if he were going to consider a NFL job, that this would be ideal for him from the Baker Mayfield standpoint. If you think that you two guys can be together for the next 10 to 12 years and, and do some of the same things that you did at Oklahoma and bring that, that air raid, those concepts here to the NFL, let that college uh, game and let all those strengths shine for Baker Mayfield, well, I, I think there'd be a lot of uh, appeal of that for Lincoln Riley. Yeah. And you know what, there's a, there's a lot of reasons to love coaching college football. I mean, these guys make a lot of money now and, uh, and honestly, there's, you know, it's a high stakes business in college as well, but uh, there, there is more security for a lot of these guys at the college level too. Uh, the, the other thing too, you know, and, and I'm very intrigued by Lincoln Riley. I'll, I'll preface this with that, but you know, there was another coach that, you know, back in the day, a lot of NFL guys would go and pick his brain and, and try and get some ideas from and, that was Chip Kelly, and he came to the NFL, and it didn't work out. So it's, it's certainly no guarantee that, that just because this guy is thought of as, as a great offensive mind and people are going to Oklahoma to, to pick his brain, that, it, that it's a guarantee he could make that leap to the NFL. I'm still really intrigued by him, though. I know. It, it's tough. That's the last person, uh, you know, that 
that I can think of. I mean, I, I drove home from the, the Pittsburgh game with Scott Petrak of the Illyria Chronicle last night. We were trying to rack our brains and try to think of, of other like wildly successful college coaches that have just jumped over to the NFL. I mean, you've got guys that have been successful that had college jobs beforehand. I mean, Bill O'Brien's successful right now, but you know, he, what he can't, he has an NFL pedigree. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, would, would you have that kind of success with a, you know, with a Lincoln Riley, with a Matt Campbell from Iowa state and things like that. So um, there's a lot of names to bandy about. I mean, what, what do you even think about like a Josh McDaniels? I, you know, that's a name obviously that's going to come up for many different reasons. Uh, I have some reservations about that just because he has seemed so reluctant to leave the job that he has. And he has, you know, turned down other jobs and uh, turned, you know, he's turned down opportunities to interview here, uh, which, you know, I can kind of see why. I mean, this has been a very volatile job. You know, it usually, if he can last, boy, the last person that lasted three years was Romeo Cornell, I think, right? Um, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, he, he lasted four, yeah. right? I think he made it four. Right. And, and yeah, right. I, don't, I don't think it's happened since. Unless we're unless we're forgetting somebody, we probably are. It's been a long day, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, yes. I mean, McDaniel's is is always a name that's going to come up because he's a local guy. But of course, he's carrying with him what happened with the Colts last off season when he backed out of that deal uh, at the last minute and kind of left them wanting. And of course, the GM of the Colts is Chris Ballard, who worked with John Dorsey. Uh, comes from that John Dorsey tree. Um, you know, the other name. Another guy who has local ties, grew up in Youngstown, John DiFilippo, uh, Vikings offensive coordinator, uh, was with the Eagles, uh, helped, helped develop Carson Wentz into an MVP candidate. He's probably going to be a name that comes up. Yeah, he will be a name that definitely comes up. And I think that's one of the reasons why he left Philadelphia and went to the Vikings, because there he could be the offensive coordinator. He could call the plays and establish himself and get on really solid footing to go out and get that next coaching job. He loved it here. Uh, He would absolutely love to come back, I'm sure. And I think the Haslam's really liked him. He's got a good reputation in the league. Uh, But again, I think it's going to come down to John Dorsey. I think he's going to be driving the bus on who the next head coach is going to be. And, you know, part of me thinks that, like I talked about before with the, the, the football family, he comes from that, strong, strong West Coast, Green Bay, you know, that's Ron Wolf family. He, that's, that's what they know. And therefore, you know, the first group of people in my mind, just it comes from, from there. And that's why you have to think about the, you know, that Dave, I'm not even sure how to pronounce Dave Taub's last name. Do you know how to pronounce that, Dan? Sorry I, about that. <laughs> I think it's Taub. Somebody can correct us. Taub. Sorry about that. Um, but anyways, um, you know, you've got a guy like that, you know, he's going to have to be on the list. So, so many different things to think about. And of course, you know, they're going to act like they're not thinking about this for the next well, eight games. They are only going to be thinking about winning the next eight games. And, you know, that's a, a crock. We know that's not true. Uh, in the same way that they had been talking to John Dorsey since midway through last season. So the groundwork will be laid starting today 
which is probably another reason why they did this now. They want to be at the forefront of getting the best head coaching candidate. Now they don't have to wait. They can start doing their due diligence. They can start interviewing people around those people. They can get a head start on the whole entire process. And I think that that has as much to do with this as a lot of other things. Yeah, real quick, these are the names we had on the list um, that you can find a little more background at cleveland.com slash Browns. And by the way, this is just a preliminary list. Like I said, this is us putting our heads together in the media room after the press conference. There are names that are going to come up. There are names on this list that we're going to cross off, uh, but this is just sort of a starter list. We had Riley, uh, Matt Campbell, who you mentioned, uh, Filippo, who we just talked about. Uh, Jim Schwartz, maybe, I don't know that I'd see them going that route, but you know, I got a guy from the Eagles tree who's probably going to get some looks, uh, Eric B the chief's offensive coordinator who does not call plays, yep. but, uh, ESPN had a story on him and I'll quote this here. He helps assemble the playbook and weekly game plans, runs the offensive meetings, and he's the voice in, uh, in Patrick Mahomes ear through the headset on game days. So, uh, this is a guy that even though he's not a play caller, he's, he's an offensive mind with the Chiefs right now. We'll ask Andy Reid about him on Wednesday uh, when, when we have our conference call with him. Uh, and, of course, Talvin McDaniels, who we mentioned. Oh, and I threw, uh, I threw Mike Rowe in there, too, the Eagles offensive coordinator, just because, you know, I'm kind of keeping an eye on some of those. The Eagles, Chiefs, Andy Reid, Packers connections, those are all the ways to go. And, of course, not on that list. You know, what if Mike McCarthy gets fired? Would he become an option? You know, what if uh, – what if they want to go with a big name from college, you know, a, a Jim Harbaugh? Or what if John Harbaugh gets fired from Baltimore? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of variables in here that, that could play in uh, over the next two months. Yeah, and, you know, I just keep coming back to, you know, when you see right now two of the hottest, uh, two of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL are Jared Goff with Sean McVay and Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a young guy because Andy Reid is not young, but it has to be an offensive mind. Somebody is who is willing to take Baker Mayfield to the next level, showcase his talents and his skills and get the most out of the future of the franchise of the Cleveland Browns. That's what this is going to be about. So I am thinking brilliant offensive mind. I heard Sean McVay on something the other day where they were asking him about a play that happened in like 2015 yeah. or something like that. Did you hear that? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? And there's these videos out there of him just recalling these plays from when he was like an offensive coordinator. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's brilliant. I mean, he is just such a sharp, sharp mind. And that's the, also the way that I've heard Lincoln Riley described. Um, so I, you know, I have a tendency to think that it's going to be somebody like that and somebody that has, connections to Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, Ron Wolf, uh, and Alonzo Highsmith. You know, it's, it's going to be uh, somebody that, that all of those guys feel really good about and really comfortable with. And they have those lists in their minds. You know, anybody that's ever been a GM or in personnel, they, they keep those coaching lists in their mind of exactly who they would hire. So it will not take them long to come up with their list. And I'm sure they're like, really excited about it already because now they're going to have what they feel is a really strong front office, a really good quarterback who we've heard all along them, you know, talk about Baker Mayfield in terms of, you know, next Brett Favre and things like that. Uh, that from Scott McLuhan who helped them 
draft him. And now they're going to add the hot shot coach to the mix and try to get this team to the next level. And, and like I said, it won't be long before they, they, we start hearing things about who they really like. Yeah. And, you know, we've said this before, I think about this job at times where I don't know, maybe we've been trying to sell ourselves on it a little bit, but, but it's legitimate right now. If, if you're a head coach, this is an appealing job. You know, now it depends on how you felt about Baker Mayfield, but there were a lot of people out there that loved Baker Mayfield coming out, including, including the guys in this building, obviously. Um, but, but there were coaching potential coaching candidates who loved Baker Mayfield. And, and if you're a, a coach out there, again, like you said, who's, who's a forward thinker, you know, young like Lincoln Riley or even older like Andy Reid, who's, who's adapted so much. But, but if you're a forward-thinking offensive coach and you loved Baker Mayfield and, and you saw what was built in Kansas City that John Dorsey had a significant role in building, this is a really appealing place right now. Yeah, it, it really is. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. It, it's one of the greatest uh, jobs in football, and it hasn't been good lately because, uh, because you know, the Haslam just haven't gotten it they haven't gotten their combination right of coach, evaluator, getting the talent in here. They haven't been able to do that yet. But, you know, now I think with the group that they, that they have in here now, they have a chance uh, to get it right. And if they set it up the right way, where the person is reporting to John Dorsey and not Jimmy Haslam, uh, then I think that makes it even more of an attractive job for whoever is going to come in here. And I know there's a lot of people that would love uh, to be here and have this job. I mean, I talked to former Browns assistants a lot who loved it here and, and would give anything to be back here. So, um, so yeah, I don't think they're going to have trouble. There's only 32 of these jobs in the NFL. And even if you're only going to have it for a year or two, you know, who wouldn't want to pocket, you know, 10 million bucks and, and, and give it a shot. There, there's only 32 of these jobs and not all of them come with a quarterback who is the number one pick who could end up being really good. And who's on a rookie contract for what, four more years after this yeah. year. So, so there's some real, I mean, the formula is in place if, if they can find the right head coach to really get this thing pointed uh, in the right direction very quickly. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's going to be, a really interesting next few months. Uh, you know, if, if they don't win a lot of games, they're going to have another high first round draft pick. And, you know, so that that's going to be another uh, attractive thing for a coach to have a lot of draft picks, including a high first rounder. Um, there's another opportunity to add to the team tomorrow. Again, we're doing this on Monday night, but yeah. tomorrow the trade deadline is at four o'clock. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Dorsey makes a couple of deals to improve this team. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, there, there's talk that, you know, the Patriots might want Jeff Howell, the athletic had reported that the Patriots might want Jamie Collins back. I think some things are going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. That's, that's the other element in all of this. We're recording this uh, late Monday night. Uh, and so the trade deadline comes on Tuesday and uh, John Dorsey said today, what, something about, there's, there's plenty of rocks to kick or, or something like that. I, I can't remember what the, what the exact phrase was, but uh, yeah, you know, we know, we know that John Dorsey is not shy. Yeah, to turn over. Turn over the rocks. 
So uh, that'll do it for our Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Um, sponsored by Sibling Revelry Brewing. Uh, go ahead and check out their website, siblingrevelrybrewing.com. And of course, subscribe on iTunes, uh, Google Play. You can also find us and listen to us on Spotify. Uh, the audio today, a little iffy just because uh, we are in two different places. And Mary Kay, I discovered my headphones that I normally use. I have different headphones. They don't have a microphone on them. So it's just kind of picking up the ambient sound here of me in the studio. My daughter stole my headphones that have the microphone on them. So, uh, oh. you know, we, we deal with what yeah. we can, right? <laughs> Darn kids, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, she was sad because when she doesn't have her headphones, they have to sit out in the hallway with their computer. So I couldn't let her just do that. She's got to be allowed to sit oh. in the classroom with her headphones in. So, all right. Well, plus it was her birthday this week, so she gets a hall pass on anything. Exactly. Exactly. You do whatever you can for the the newly minted eight-year-old. All right. That'll do it for the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. From Mary Kate Cabin, I'm Dan Love. Thanks for listening, everybody.